We are resuming in the Gospel of Mark. It's been uh, three weeks, three Sundays now since we've been in the Gospel of Mark for one reason or another. We're in chapter 11. I want to come right out of the gate this morning with with something that just was put on my plate uh, through somebody uh, PMing me. And uh, <clears throat> it pertains to a Christian... See those little quotation mark thingies? Right? You've got to learn how to do that when you're a public speaker. Christian... Okay. author by the name of Glennon Doyle Melton. I'm quoting, she's known as the ultimate confessional writer for her honest portrayals of her struggling marriage, addiction, and eating disorder. She's opened up with another big revelation. She is dating again. Her new partner is a woman, and that woman is celebrity soccer champ Abby Wambach. Quoting Miss Melton on her recent divorce from her husband, Craig, and this is at her blog site, our marriage didn't fail. It transformed us into braver, kinder, wiser, healthier human beings. Our marriage was a success of epic proportions. It was alchemy. And it's not just over, it's complete Carry on, Craig, fiercely proud of you. And as I was looking at her blog site with a picture of herself and her new love and her two little girls, the only thing I could think of was, and I'll bet your girls feel exactly the same way that you do, right? Yeah. From Romans chapter 1. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. In the text, a list then of specific things follows. And although they know the ordinance of God, and that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them, Romans 1, 28 through 32. The last time we were together, we were with Jesus and the disciples talking about the fig tree that they came upon that hadn't produced any fruit, and so Jesus curses it. And then right on the heels of that, we find Jesus again with the disciples at the temple where he begins to clean house, quite literally. Both of these things, the, the, the story with the fig tree and, and, uh, and the cleansing of the temple, are both pictures of impending judgment. Both are issued forth by the Prince of Peace. We looked at the prophecy of Jeremiah in chapter 7, verses 1 through 11, again, three weeks ago, where the Lord, through his prophet, has a very strong message, strong foreboding words to God's people if they do not order their lives according to the revealed will of God. Referring to the Holy Old Testament meeting place of God with his people, Jeremiah writes, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. The Lord is saying, I know what's going on. I'm watching you, my people. 
I'm seeing everything here. Well, three weeks ago, I paraphrased then. I took the passage, and I read it completely, and I paraphrased Jeremiah's words from the Lord, bringing it forward on our timeline of history into the epic of the church, meaning into contemporary times. And as we know, and I mentioned then, both God's people in the Old Testament and today the church is comprised of real Christians and, of course, posers. This is what I said, paraphrasing Jeremiah's prophecy for our time. You wear the name of Jesus and you claim your faith as biblical, yet embrace and even instruct others to adopt godless mindsets and practice godless habits, and all in the name of my Son, your Savior, yet claiming you are delivered when in fact you bathe in the cesspool of Satan's domain and even deride, ridicule, and scorn those who try to live righteously. Do not think that you will be immune from my anger just because you can toss around the name of Jesus like a good luck charm. Behold, I, even I, have seen it. No matter what the epoch, and that's E-P-O-C-H, not E-P-I-C, epoch is a period of time, and no matter what period of time that we are talking about, God's character does not change. Not from Genesis Not beginning in the Gospels, not through Revelation, does it ever change. He is the same, always. And God's people, whom God created to be a blessing to the earth, as he looked down, he saw that they were fruitless. And like the barren fig tree would be destroyed. In the passage that we're in this morning, resuming in on in in Mark, Jesus has just finished violently, remember this was the Prince of Peace, just finished violently cleaning out the posers and the opportunists from the temple, quoting the Jeremiah passage about desecrating God's house. This has all been by way of review now, new material from Mark 11, beginning in verse 18. The temple, Jesus just got done cleaning the temple out, and the chief priests and the scribes heard this, and they began seeking how to destroy him. Why? Well, that's why the four is there. Four, because they were afraid of him. Why were they afraid of him? Again, four, because the whole crowd was astonished at Jesus' teaching. It was not Jesus' might in strength. It was not even Jesus' wonder-working power that sent the religious leaders of the day over the edge. It was that Jesus taught with a singular authority. And as we've seen in the Gospel of Mark, that's a recurring theme. And the people were spellbound by it. A good translation of the word there. And this is noteworthy because it defines for us what the real Jesus problem was. It wasn't that the multitudes were being incited to violent action. Jesus wasn't calling for his followers to rise up in civil war or in religious revolt. It was that the people were listening to Jesus. They were listening to his ideas 
And those ideas were dropping the chains of bondage to man-made rules and man-made values and man-made morals to the extent that the people were no longer under the thumbs of the religious leaders. They were being enticed away from the duty motivated by fear to obedience that is motivated by freedom in Christ. And I want to underscore something here for clarity. This may seem like I'm going off on a rabbit trail. I assure you I am not. We will come back. Religion wasn't the problem per se. And if you understand who the Pharisees were and and many of the things that got them riled and everything else, we could very easily assume and say that, well, the issue was religion. No, religion was not the problem. It wasn't because their, their leaders were religious or even errantly religious. It was that their leaders were godless, but they thought they were godly. And now when I speak of religion, I'm talking about the broadest sweep, meaning all faith systems everywhere in all times. Religion is not the cause of evil. You would not know that today. If you were to listen in, and I don't know how you can not, how you can help not listening in today in one shape or another. If you listen into the cultural monologues today, more and more, and it's getting more hostile, that religion is the problem. 1971, Barbara and I were in our last year of high school, some guy by the name of, what was it, John Lennon, published a song named Imagine. Rolling Stones magazine has named Imagine the third greatest song of all time. Not of the year, not of the era, not of the decade or the epoch, but of all time. I trust most of you are familiar with it. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Lenin's third grade poetry reveals the dissatisfaction of a world that is turned upside down and polluted by sin. We all feel his pain. But where he sees the troubles of mankind, he confuses the symptoms with the very cause. And ironically, in his disgust with religion, he reveals his own religion which is that the trouble with mankind is that people have strongly held beliefs, beliefs which are inherently religious, which in his estimation fuel hatred against anyone and everyone who do not share those beliefs. Lenin's dream is for a world without any religion, for all such religious beliefs have at their foundation a supreme 
authority that supersedes all human authority, meaning you have to believe them or else. So the way to live in harmony with one's fellow man is to abolish any and all ideas, to eliminate all values and all beliefs which find their origin, listen carefully, it's a little heady here, that find their origins outside of one's own little world. Have to get rid of that completely. So, the secret to living in a utopian existence, according to to Lenin's imagined world, is to eliminate every authority that asserts supremacy over your and my own authority. Guess what happened at Eden? Exactly. Let me try and illustrate the concept here. Why do, and it's unfortunate that I have to qualify this by saying true Christians, why do true Christians abhor abortion? Outside of the obvious. But it's only obvious because what? Because there is a God who abhors abortion. Ah, see? Religion. Why do Christians demand fidelity to one spouse until death do they part? It's because God insists on it. Why do Christians decry homosexual practice? It is because an authority outside of themselves called God decries it as a toppling of his natural order. So you see, if somebody can get rid of God, meaning religion... You become the ultimate authority. And when you're the ultimate authority, if you want to have an abortion, you can have an abortion guilt-free. If you want to have sex as recreation, you can have sex as recreation guilt-free. And if you are the ultimate authority, any love is good love. So you see, the trouble with the world in Lenin's mind is religion. But the very tragic irony of Lenin's world described by Imagine is that his solution is in fact what causes and sustains the very problem and troubled world that he's lamenting. His solution is to eliminate absolute definitive Authority. Back to Mark 11. The Pharisees, the chief priests, and the scribes all understood that Jesus was not simply offering an alternative view of the world. He was not simply giving his opinion as, this is one way of looking at life, take it or leave it, without consequence. He was not suggesting his opinion that could be accepted or rejected. And either way, it was a good choice. Jesus was asserting that there is only one viable, life-giving, life-enhancing authority. There's only one way of seeing the world and only one solution to the troubles of mankind. And that solution was embodied in one singular Authority. 
Now, when you take the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you overlay them one on top of the other, obviously certain writers include things that the other writers don't, and, and, and vice versa, and every combination of that. But just not coincidentally, think about what I just said. There is one who embodies that singular authority. If we take the Gospel of John now and we put it right on top of Mark, so to speak, at this very time and in this very epoch, John records Jesus' most compelling statement of not what, but who that overriding authority is. John 14:6, I am the way. I am not one way or a way. I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This one statement of Jesus utterly obliterates Mr. Lennon's solution to a world of peaceful and universal harmony. Peace cannot be found by purging religious notions of heaven or hell, or religion in general, for if that could be done, what you would in fact would be hell on earth. Why? Because it is only by the constraining influence of an authoritative God in the world, who also, I might add, happens to be benevolent, that keeps the world from being as wicked and as messed up as it would be without his influence. So Jesus, in effect, says to the people, Mark 11, the Pharisees again, listening, there's only one authority that you need to know and need to obey, and that is God's purposes and plans for you. And because... That one sovereign authority called God loves you and cares for you and wants you to experience the world that songwriters and authors and poets and dreamers long for. You all long for that world without hatred and wicked and injustice and brutality and heartache and sorrow. And it only comes through that one. And the rabble, meaning the hoi polloi, the crowds that were gathered there listening to Jesus, in the eyes of their proud leaders, they were captivated by Jesus' words because they both saw and they experienced something special in this teacher. And other gospel writers note something along the lines, varying words and ways of putting it, but the same thing. And they were amazed in Luke 4.32, and they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. This explains so much. This explains, gives so much clarity about our world today, right now, and I mean right now, today, in the United States, post-election. Why is there such violence in our streets, as I have never seen in my lifetime, and yes, I was around for the Watts riots and the Detroit riots and, and riots here and there. They were all spotted and they were momentary. But this is like, like basically covering a very broad sweep of America. Never seen anything like this due to a political defeat of a person and a party. It is because 
the idolized authority of a people, of a political party, has been repudiated and rejected. Now stay with me here. Remember, everything is spiritual. There is no political realm and spiritual realm. This was what was happening at the temple in Jerusalem. And for that matter, whenever Jesus gathered on the streets of Jerusalem or any other town for that matter, the authority of the party of the Pharisees was being questioned and then it was being repudiated and then rejected by the people. So when the leaders of Jesus' day saw this taking place, how did they respond? Just like we have been seeing and hearing. We have got to kill this Jesus. You're starting to get a flavor for what's going on here. Do you see why we need to be praying as much now, maybe even more than we were before the elections? I believe the inspired, infallible, and errant, authoritative Word of God gives us perspective. From Psalm 2, second psalm in the book. I'm going to abbreviate this some for time. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And again it continues, Now therefore, O kings... Show some discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that's capital S, that He not become angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Now, what is the reason... Don't go simplistic on me here. What is the reason for Psalm 2 occurring here in the book of Psalms, meaning right after Psalm 1? Well, because it's number 2. No. Could it be, and I'm saying it is, that Psalm 2 is the reaction of the rebellious heart to the authority of Psalm 1? What does Psalm 1 say? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. Oh, but the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away, and therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. First line, Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar? Because there is an ultimate authority demanding, dictating, describing for the good of mankind. This is how you will live. And you ignore it to your peril. 
The spirit of Antichrist and the fires of hell intensify as the rage of the kingdom of darkness intensifies with every reminder of its ultimate doom. And any and every inkling of any kind of, and I'm speaking now about our culture and our society, any kind of, of, of real or even perceived gain of righteousness as God defines it causes the demons to rage. The kingdom of darkness has had willing dupes. Willing dupes at the highest levels of our government, fueled by spiritually induced opportunity to violate the rule of law, thereby becoming an illegitimate government according to the dictates of Romans 13. I talked about this two weeks ago, much more specifically. For the government redefined that which is good as now evil, and things which according to God are evil, the government has determined to be good. And do not misunderstand what some may think I am either saying outright or that I am implying. So let me be clear. I do not think, not for a second, that the next administration is going to somehow usher in this glorious kingdom of heaven in these United States. In fact, I fully expect that the next administration will do things and enact laws or allow certain laws to stand that are vile and offensive to the Almighty. That's my opinion. But the reason that I am not prompted to abandon support of the new administration, as it has been with some people, is that when you look at the inspired, infallible, and errant authoritative word of God from beginning to end, it is replete with an entire history of God's people. And we are told categorically and by name and sometimes by dates that occasionally... God's people would have the blessing of having a superior king like Hezekiah ruling over them. But they had many, many, many more bad kings like Ahab. And then every now and then, they would have a king like Yehu, or you might say Jehu, who is assessed as being, are you ready for this? I love the way one scholar put it. Not as bad as the rest. (laughs) So you see, there's nothing new under the sun, and so the war continues and even intensifies with new national leadership because as the leaders in Jesus' day determined that Jesus had to go, the dupes in bondage to satanic powers, and believe me, they run through both parties are demonically agitated to remove the influence of Jesus' authority in the lives of people. People who are left in that imaginary world, they don't think of it perhaps in these terms, of John Lennon's ideal of being your own authority. Resent and explode with a fueled rage from the pit of hell at the intrusion of anyone or anything 
that in any way, shape, or form insinuates an authority that is superior and must be obeyed. And the irony of it all is that God has orchestrated things like that because it will be good for the people that order their lives according to his wisdom and his dictates and his precepts. And it will be hell for those people who do not. So again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and ruling authorities in the dark places. But our weapons are not of the flesh. They are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And so we destroy speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ as defined here. Let me have you stand. God in heaven. The word reprieve will probably come out of my mouth more times than anybody wants to hear, perhaps already has. Dear God, in your mercy and grace, do not let your people squander what may very well be a momentary lull in the rampage of Satan's domain further increasing on the face of this earth. Meaning, O oh God, we must take seriously our loyalty, allegiance, and obedience to you for the purposes of expanding your kingdom here and now. In Jesus' name, amen.